Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, hey, where you been? Buckeye talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to your Thursday Buckeye talk from Cleveland.com. So much news and analysis on this one. You won't believe it. Doug Maurice, Stephen Means, Nathan Baird. Nathan, we are recording this Wednesday afternoon. Go read cleveland.com slash OSU. Uh, would be a great time to try the text. We are flooding. I think we'll con- continue to flood the site and the text with information because, Nathan, on Wednesday, even though Ohio State did not sign any players, on this second National Signing Day, we got Ryan Day at the podium for about 35 minutes. And then over the course of the next two hours, we talked to all 10 assistant coaches, recruiting coordinator Mark Pantone, and new staffer James Laurinaitis. It was a fire hose of information, Nathan. And we're going to start with play calling and Brian Hartline and Ryan Day. But man, this was one of those days where it's almost hard to keep up with the conversations that you're having. No, it's uh, it's both refreshing and kind of exhausting. Like you just <laughs> you're just blasted with this fire hose of information and context and perspective, and uh, yeah, definitely a a refreshing thing to get at this time. This kind of pivotal time between first time we've talked to any of these people since the Peach Bowl and a big reset, maybe the last big one, only big one we'll get going into the spring. And I don't think we'll get to it on this podcast, but I basically had a partially one-on-one conversation with special teams coach Parker Fleming for like 15 minutes as part of it, because it's like, I got to talk to Parker Fleming and our people, our Buckeye talk listeners and our tech subscribers want us to talk to Parker Fleming, but they also wanted to talk to Corey Dennis. They wanted us to talk to James Laurinaitis. They wanted us to talk to Jim Knowles and we did all those things, but we're going to start off with Ryan Day and Brian Hartline talking about the thing that had been announced, which is that Brian Hartline is the new offensive coordinator. We knew that. We did not have a handle exactly on that what what that meant for play calling duties in 2023. And all we had was Kirk Herbstreet saying that in the run-up to the playoff semifinal in the pregame TV meetings, Ryan Day had mentioned something about possibly giving up play calling or thinking about doing that. Kevin Wilson leaves. We knew that was happening. Brian Hartline ascends and is named the offensive coordinator. I have a particular view 
I have a pretty strong particular view on what is happening at Ohio State right now with Ryan Day and these decisions. But but Nathan, we'll start with you. What did you think of how Ryan Day and Brian Hartline explained what is happening with the play calling situation for 2023? So Ryan Day didn't outright come out and say for sure that Brian Hartline is going to take over play calling. He said, well, we're going to work on it this spring. We're going to see how it goes. He wants him to get into some scenarios where Jim Knowles is calling the defense and he has to call an offense against it. But there's obviously, I think, every indication that that's what they want to have happen, right? I, I think Ryan Day talked about it in such a way that uh, don't commit to it right now in case something turns out to be really off there and it, it takes longer than you think. But both from what the way Ryan Day characterized it and then talking to Brian Hartline, too, there seems to be reasonable assurance that that's the direction they want to go. Ryan, Brian Hartline said he's, he's confident that he could call plays now if he had to. Uh, partially because of that structure that they have around him. You wrote the big piece about it, Doug, but that it, it's not just one guy. It is one guy calling the play at the end of the day on game day. But even there, there's headset conversations and there's a lot of planning that goes into it with a lot of input from a lot of different people. You know, Brian Hartley didn't come to this through the same channels that someone like Ryan Day did. Ryan Day, you imagine, was probably like, 11 years old and thought he would be an offensive coordinator someday um, if he didn't work out as a quarterback or maybe then even if he did. And Brian Hartline didn't come up that way. Uh, it's a it's a different perspective on it, but they've got to this point, And I think they see both from where Ryan, Brian Hartline wants to be as a coach and for what him being a play caller would mean for the staff. That's the other half of this. It isn't just a promotion for Brian Hartline. It is another step in Ryan Day's shifting of responsibilities and kind of recalibrating the way the whole staff works. Steven, were you at all surprised by the way the play calling duties were discussed on Wednesday, or did they match up with what you thought would happen? No, because one, I mean, we've said it plenty of times, play calling is like real life Madden. And everybody wants to play Madden in real life. So with, this was never going to be a all-out Brian Days is going to come out and say, yes, Brian Hartland is going to be the play caller next year. And part of it is because he probably likes being the play caller, but also Brian Hartline has never done this at any level anywhere before. So you have to, even if your shorts going to work, you probably do want to see it with your eyes a little bit and give him an entire spring where it's non-consequential to make sure it works before you officially hand something over to him. So from that standpoint, it just doesn't shock me. But then also the point that the fact that Ryan Day has maybe gotten here earlier than a head coach would have maybe 15 years ago is just a result of where college football is and all the other stuff that's got it. That's on his plate now that wasn't on the plate of a college football coach 15 years ago. So I don't think it, was impossible for the conversation on Wednesday to be, well, I know what Kirk Herbstreet said, but Brian's never done this before. He's going to be a first-year offensive coordinator. I think he is going to be a great play caller. But that is a lot to put on his plate right now. So I'm going to stay as the play caller, and we're giving Brian a ton of responsibility. He's going to grow into this role, and I certainly think it's very likely that he will wind up calling plays at Ohio State. But I think it's, for now, I'm going to keep it. I think I think that's what I thought it was going to be. So just because Brian Hartline's offensive corner does not mean he has to be the play caller. Like Kevin Wilson was here a long time. Kevin Wilson, who had been a play caller, who had been a head coach, got here. He had an offensive coordinator title. He didn't call a single play his whole time here. 
There's not an, I didn't think there was an assumption, even though Ryan, and I do think sometimes you just say stuff. You're in there in the TV meeting. It's practically like borderline off the record, right? It's like, well, don't say this until the, you know, right there. It's to inform. I don't think Ryan Day was expecting Kirk Herbstreet. I'm not saying Kirk Herbstreet did anything wrong. So I thought Ryan Day really could have backed off that conversation on Wednesday. Well, 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 well. Instead, I think this is a line in the sand. And I think the conversation that we had after Ohio State's loss to Michigan, where we took all these ideas from texters and ourselves and we said, what can Ohio State do differently? And we were painting walls and we were hiring Jim Tressel as a rivalry coach and we were doing all these things. Nathan, I think a version of that is happening. I think Ryan Day is battening down the hatches. I think this is the beginning of the second era of Ryan Day's life as an Ohio State head coach. I think there is the before all this, and there is this new reality. And the new reality is going to be shaped by two things. The second loss to Michigan and coming within a whisker of beating Georgia. And those two things combined. I think one shows you what you are not. And one shows you what you can be. And I think, Ryan Day, there are some things that are happening here. Kevin Wilson is leaving. NIL is happening. There are, there are some parts, and I think he's taking advantage of that. I think Ryan Day is... I don't know if I want to say hunkering down, but I think he is figuring out exactly what he wants to be, how he wants to run this program. And I think it is going to be different. And I think a couple things are happening here. I think the James Laurinaitis hire, as we talked in the, the last podcast, I think is a sign of something. I don't know if that would have happened before, but I think that is a sign of a Michigan thing. I think this play calling thing, I think he is more open to giving up play calling. I think he is significantly more open to giving up play calling than he was in November. And I think he's going to give it up. And I think he just is double checking this spring that Brian Hartline can do it. But I think he wants Brian Hartline to do it. And I think maybe in the past he didn't want that. I think he wants to give it up. And there's a, another thing that's happening here that I found out about. Quinn Temple, who has been part of the Ohio State staff since 2013. He graduated from Ohio State in 2013. He's been around forever. He's the guy that you guys hear on the microphone during practice. He sounds like Mickey Marotti, but but he's he's that guy. So he's just a guy who handles things. He is officially going to become Ryan Day's chief of staff. That is a new title that they are giving him. And on the organizational chart of how things operate in the football program, it's Ryan Day on top. And it's going to be Quinn Temple under Ryan Day. And the only person who reports to Ryan Day is Quinn Temple. And everybody else goes through Quinn Temple. That's what a chief of staff is. It's like the chief of staff for the president. And I'm not saying being the Ohio State football coach or the head coach at any big-time football program is as hard as being president, but almost. Presidents don't have to do NIL, right? So this is another new thing where Ryan Day is, I don't mean that. 
I don't really mean that. Football coaches don't have to do Ukraine, right? I mean, I get it. I get it. The country up, I love Ukraine. Do you think Ukraine refers to Russia as that country up north? Like they're like, I would never going to say their name. Football coaches get paid a whole lot more too. The ones we're talking about. That's true. What's the president make like 200 grand? Like yeah. That. So, so I think, so this is something, Nathan, I thought this was confirmation. I, and, and Stephen, it was another question. It was a question that you asked Stephen about promoting from within. And I don't love it. But this is the Jim Trestle Dabo style of stuff. Ryan Day, to your question, Stephen said, I never understood why if you had a good person, you said, well, they have to leave before we then promote them. He was like, why do you have to do it that way? So I actually still think that's good. I'm not saying that I think this is the right way to do it or it's what I would do. But it is clearly what he wants to do. So this is what I think is happening. I think he thinks, not that Kevin, he didn't think it with Kevin Wilson, but he also said he thinks Justin Fry can be the best offensive line coach in the country. He also loves Justin Fry. I think he believes in a room with Brian Hartline and Justin Fry and Keenan Bailey and Corey Dennis and Tony Alford that he has his guys in that room which will allow him to leave that room and go out into the world. And he definitely, Nathan, he wants to be more of a culture coach. And I think he's like, I got my guys. I trust them. Quinn's now going to be my buffer to everything else. And that is going to allow me to dispense with the details. Dispense with, hey, what's the angle on this block on this third and medium play. Hey, Justin, how come can we have the guard come over here? And he's not going to, I think he doesn't want to do that anymore. And he does. I don't think he wants to do every this, 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 what's that? Because Nathan, I think he wants to be the coach. He wants to meet with players and motivate them. He wants to check on everything. He wants to spend more time in other position rooms. And I think it maybe took those two things together, Nathan. Michigan's showing what you're not. Georgia's showing you what you can be. And I we saw this. Maybe I'm overdoing this because this is this is me still theorizing. This is what Kirby does. This is what Kirby Smart does. Kirby Smart talked a lot down there about how he does this kind of stuff. He wants to meet with guys and be everywhere. He's not, he'll be in the defensive room if they need him, but that's not how he uses his energy. I think there were a lot of lessons learned this season by Ryan Day, Nathan, and I think he is applying them. And I think if we thought and our listeners thought that after Michigan, something's got to change, I think something's changing. And I think this is the new Ryan Day. And expecting to hand off play calling is a vital part of that because he wants to make sure he has his, his fingers on everything. He wants to make sure he has time for Teron Vincent. And he wants to make sure he has time for Cade Stover. And he wants to make sure he has time for Denzel Burke. And he wants to go sit with Perry Eliano and talk with Jim Knowles. And I think, Nathan, he, he's maybe coming to a conclusion that at least last year, maybe he didn't do that enough. And maybe it had a negative effect on this team. Because the way he described it, Nathan, he said, in the offseason, I can handle all the stuff. 
August, I can handle all of it. Beginning of the season, I can handle all of it. Yes, NIL is an issue, but he didn't say, uh, NIL. He said middle and end of the season. That's when I could feel it. And what is that code for? That's Michigan game code. I could feel it that we're not at our best for Michigan. And if I'm touching every part of this program instead of sitting in an offensive meeting room for two and a half hours every night, we'll be better. So I got to get my guys. B. Hart's going to lead that group. I believe in them. I got my guys. Quinn's my guy. He's going to make sure I'm not distracted. And then I'm going to be everywhere. I think this is it, Nathan. I'm not, I don't know if it's going to work, but I think a lot of people wanted an adjustment after the second Michigan loss. I think they got it. And I thought uh, the thing I was going to bring up was the way that he described that. So the year round change that you go through, because even if you felt a little bit of this in the past, think about the way he talked about it. Off season is kind of great. Like time management, not an issue in the off season, spring, summer, even into the preseason, the start of the season. So if you're feeling it a little bit coming out of a season, you immediately kind of get refreshed. You go back into the part of the year where it's not hanging over and really like sitting on your shoulders in the same way. But now that it's happened the, the second year in a row and oh, the way this past season two played out with the, the injuries, whether that was Jackson Smith, the Jigba and that hanging around all year, whether it was the running back injuries, those sort of things that were, hap- were affecting this team at such a critical time. Uh, I, I think that it was probably just a part of his um, maturation. I hate is a word that I hate. The guy's, you know, is older, older than I am. So that sounds like a phony thing to say. But just like the 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 processing that you're doing every year, the self-evaluation that you're doing every year, because a lot of those things you're talking about, having that guy who has a presence over the whole program. Like if you think, well, our passing game is lacking in a certain way. Well, you're the play caller. You can make adjustments and do that. Or our quarterback play. Or there's a lot of little individual things in the offense that maybe you can you can distribute those things out to those position coaches. But the things that he's talking about there, only the head coach can really take care of those things. Only the head coach can assume those responsibilities. And I think the other crucial thing here is, is two things on the staff. It's Brian Hartline and it's Keenan Bailey. Because you have to just be Brian Hartline's not going anywhere. I mean, I know people were trying to get him, but you're not you're not showing him the door, certainly. So is that guy who is the most natural person you'd want to turn this over to, is he relatively ready? And is the guy that you're promoting for Kevin Wilson, who did play an important part in that week to week uh, designing of the offense, designing of the game plan, is that guy, does that guy have enough of an X's and O's acumen to pick up a lot of that slack? And by all accounts, not only does Keenan Bailey have that, it's almost his strength, the thing that he's most known for on that staff. Uh, beyond, I mean, he's a good personality and recruiter and stuff like that, too. I think he's going to be a good fit. But he, but he clearly has some skills that were already as you wrote about Doug prominent in that room and, and important in that room. So those two things happening at the same time at the same moment that Ryan day is kind of coming to this realization of maybe the next step he needs to take. It all just kind of synced up. I do think the conversations we've had about this are right. That of all, remember we were having that conversation of like, Hey, the five things a head coach does Ryan day. I still think he's the back of a napkin doodler. He's a play caller, man. But that's that's something that somebody else can at least replicate while they're running the Ryan Day system. You're right, Nathan. Like nobody else can do the things at the top that need to be done. So, Stephen, when we're talking about this, how much do you think this could make Ohio State football better? 
it's a big difference because I mean he he likes to use the term head coach of something. You know, Jim Knowles is the head coach of the defense. Mark Mantoni is the head coach of recruiting uh, and, t- and, you know, uh, talent acquisition. Uh, Mick Marotti is the head coach of strength and conditioning. And Brian Day is the head coach of the offense. Maybe, But he's also the head coach of, you know, culture and all these other things that go along with that stuff. And if that stuff starts failing at the end of every year, Michigan code, yes. But also, I mean, you play Penn State in November typically at the time. We're talking about November. I mean, the contenders show their faces in November. And if you get to November every single year, and that's when you see things start to fall apart because you spent way too much time doing offensive stuff because you're still a part-time offensive coordinator, well, that's how you lose to Michigan and you don't really maximize what you have to do. And it's how maybe it could have been Penn State some years if this kept going. And Penn State maybe starts getting Ohio State. But I do think it starts to make changes because, one, it empowers other guys, but also – it just gives Ryan Day more time to do head coach stuff. And a lot of times as the head coach, you are just the CEO and the personality manager at times. And maybe he doesn't, he doesn't have time to, I don't really know what his relationship is with the defensive side of the ball when it comes to individual players, because he's been so offensive, you know, focused and really quarterback focused. We know him and CJ Stroud have a great relationship. We know him and Garrett Wilson had a great relationship and the offensive line and Marvin Harrison and all down. We know those guys have a great relationship with him, but does he have the same, you know, face to face relationship with a Tommy Eichenberg or Talik Williams or Denzel Burke? And it's not because they don't know him. Obviously they know him. They agreed to come play for his program, but it's just not, it's probably not the same one-to-one relationship because they're doing something that he's not doing. So if he has more time to do that because he's not sitting in an offensive meeting on Wednesday night or Tuesday evening, how much does that help the team, especially when you get to the point of the year where we're looking at snap counts and maybe Caden Curry has played 50 less snaps than maybe we all thought he would play, even him, and now he's feeling down and on his luck and not really feeling at his best. What if he can just go talk to Ryan Day because Ryan Day's not sitting in the meeting? He's just sitting in his office doing – Whatever. And so now it's an open door policy, even though he's, he's preached that, but now it can actually be that. That's, I think, more important at this point than him sitting in the offensive meeting. If you have this many, you know, elite or at least borderline elite offensive minds in that room altogether all anyway. Now, Ryan Day did still say, I'm still going to be in the room, too. So I don't know if he was talking about just for this spring and that's going to get weaned he, off in but the he fall. Can, he's not going to be in the room. He can leave it. That's. I think it's not so much he's yeah. not going to be in the room. It's just if he needs to step out for ten minutes to go do something else, he can now do that. I, and which, I think, or I skip Wednesday. Yeah. Hey, listen, man. He he had the clicker. That he's like, probably not holding the clicker anymore. He was. He had the clicker. Mm-hmm. Like the head coach had the clicker. I think that is the best. I, I just think he shouldn't have the clicker in his hand. So. So listen, this it's funny. My daughter at college. Um, they're having this little thing of write a little movie and then pitch your movie and then they'll pick a little movie and they'll make a movie for the one club she's in at college. And so there's two parts of that. She had to write a script and then she had to go into this meeting and pitch it. And the pitch is not the script. The pitch is the execution. The pitch is what's your directoral vision? What's the lighting going to be? What are your locations going to be? How are you actually going to pull this off? And it's like, that's the director kind of thing. It could be two different people. One's the writer, one's the director. She was doing both. I think Ryan Day's a good writer. Like, I think Ryan Day, like, you have to have a vision. I think Ryan Day has a vision. 
I think Ryan Day knows what he wants to do on offense. I think he knows what kind of culture he wants to have in his program. I think if you told Ryan Day to write down how to run a football program, I think he'd write a great script. I think he's adjusting his directoral vision because you've got to execute it. And I think my guess is he would look back at last year and say, I didn't love it. And the results are the results, right? I mean, that's that's part of it, but I didn't love it. And it's one of these things, I think if you free yourself up, you can deal with problems, but you can also stop problems before they happen. So it's not just a player has an issue. It's like, hey, man, I'm checking in with you. It's not like, oh, no, the linebackers had a terrible game. It's like, hey, I'm sitting with the linebackers on Thursday just to be in their meeting for half an hour just to be there, right? You can, it's like what we talked about with the whole CJ thing. CJ solves problems before they happen. So then you don't get credit for it. I think Ryan Day wants to solve some problems before they happen. And I think that's that's cultural, that's emotional. And he talks about that kind of stuff all the time, Nathan. I think he's good at it. I just think he wasn't spending enough time on it because he had so many other things to do. So to me, Brian Hartline, Quinn Temple are going to allow him to do that more. Nobody knows. It mean, It doesn't mean they're going to beat Michigan. But I, listen, I thought I saw a weight on Ryan Day. I think we all saw it. After the Michigan loss, signing day, like that's some good players, but still we know the deal, right? Signing day. Then you go lose to Georgia. I didn't see a weight Wednesday, February 1st, Nathan. I saw a coach who I thought knows he has a vision and now has figured out how he can better execute it. I thought I saw some uplift. I thought I felt optimism. I think there is a plan in place. And if you're asking for it, Ohio State fans, and I know you are, everybody is. Nobody thinks losing to Michigan three years in a row is acceptable. Nathan. I think we believed something had to change. I think it changed. Doesn't mean it's going to work, but at least it's not the same old thing. I think these are some fundamental adjustments that are happening in the Ohio State football program, and I think Ohio State fans should feel good about them. I spent a lot of time with Brian Hartline uh, today at those interviews, and I asked him, could you see the weight on Ryan Day. Could you tell that this was taking a toll? And he said, sure, because just look at what's happened in college football since 2015 to now. Like you can, everything that's been added on to that, such a completely different world. And a lot of that gets to the head coach first and foremost, and then they hope they try to distribute it if they can. And so, you know, I think everyone around that program saw the the balance of power or the balance of, of responsibility that was maybe tipping too far in the in the in the area of the head coach. But also, you're right that Ryan Day, this is still Ryan Day's offense at the end of the day, because Brian Hartline, there, there's there's multiple ways to do this. And Brian Hartline did not come at this the way that Ryan Day did. He was not a guy who was nerding out on Madden or whatever it, to the same degree. And I even asked him at one point, like, hey, when you were coming up, were you like paying attention to your college offensive coordinators, your NFL offensive coordinators, like trying to glean things? He's like, nope, <laughs> like this, this wasn't on his radar at that point in his life. And he was and somebody asked him, like, hey, have you been like doodling up plays for the time when you would get to do this? And he's like, no, like we've got enough plays. We've got they have the playbook. They have they think they have the playbook that wins football games. It's a matter of stripping things back 
and and processing it the right way that you can execute it better on Saturday. There isn't a there is no one is looking for Brian Hartline to be the schematic uh, genius that reinvents the Ohio State offense. I don't think even the fans who think the people who think that he should have been promoted to OC think that that was what his role is. It's more, again, just about this reconfiguration of the whole staff and what makes the best sense top to bottom for, for everyone. He doesn't need a playbook because they have Ryan Day's playbook. Right. So that's a part of it too. And like, I think that Ryan mm-hmm. Day has realized that. Right. I wrote the book. I wrote the just book. Read it. But <laughs> Wait, just read it. And I'm going to let, I'm gonna, I'm gonna let someone else read it. Yeah. He, he said both, Hartline said, we have enough plays, we have enough minds. It's not just him and, and Ryan Day. It's Keenan Bailey. It's Tony Alford. It's Justin Fry. It's everybody else that you wrote about that's in that room. It's the guys who are now going to be filling in behind Keenan Bailey now that he moves up. Like they, they, they feel like they have the brain trust. It's just a matter of the person it filters through on Saturday. And we'll find out how significant of a difference that is. But Ryan Day is still going to be on that headset too. I think this is a very big deal. And I think Ohio State's headed in the right direction. All right. Quick break. When we come back, we want to talk about quarterbacks. We want to talk about offensive line. We are not going to talk about every single thing that we discussed with Ohio State coaches on Wednesday on this podcast. But we took it all in, and we're going to dump it back on you in the next several podcasts. But we do want to get the QBs and offensive line. We'll start doing that next on Buckeye Talk. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. All right, back on Buckeye Talk. Let's do offensive line. And Nathan, this is why I like doing depth charts, making you. (laughs) This is why I like making you (laughs) You do depth charts. (laughs) But you've got to get it out there because I am, you know, there was, uh, I like us during like NFL draft season to like check in every couple of weeks and say like what we think is going to happen because it's, it shows the evolution of your thought process. And on the offensive line, I think the depth chart that you did a couple of weeks ago that we talked about on this podcast, when we got back from our break, I think the information that we gleaned on Wednesday, the depth chart has evolved on the offensive line. And there are some surprising things there. But let's start with one thing that has not evolved, and that is – so I did talk to Justin Fry so for a somewhat significant period of time. So Ryan Day talked about the off- – it's funny. Ryan Day was like, well, I don't want to get into specifics on the offensive line. And then like eight minutes later, he got into some specifics. One of the specifics that I think maybe surprised us is Donovan Jackson and Matthew Jones not moving. They were the starting guards last year, and Ohio State is going to enter spring football with the anticipation they will remain the starting guards. I asked Justin Fry, why isn't Donovan Jackson in the mix at tackle? Like, that was a thing a year ago for like a week. 
right? It's like, hey, Donovan Jackson, you know, Kevin Wilson's making Trent Williams comparisons. It's like, maybe he's not super tall, but he has a big wingspan. Like, he's super talented. Like, what? And Justin Fry basically said he's not going to be in the tackle mix unless there's a bunch of injuries. He had a great year at guard, and they wanted to build on that. So that's one thing. But the other one, Nathan, is we all thought that Matthew Jones sliding to center as a sixth-year veteran made a lot of sense, and that is not what they are planning to do. What did you think of that news? Yeah, Donovan Jackson not moving is not a surprise. I had him at left guard in the the depth chart that I did and said kind of the same thing, that it's it's still an op- possibility, I think, on the fringes. But the point that I made at the time was, I think what Fry was saying, I was not at his table. But if you've got a guy who can go out and be an absolute stud at left guard, then maybe that is a better payoff than a guy who could, even if he would end up being your best left tackle, you're you're also decreasing what you have at left guard. The, the, the situation at guard and center with, with Matt Jones still, though, is still surprising to me, especially when you couple it with the information that Jacob James is out for the spring, because that was one of the guys that, even though, you know, a more developmental guy, that he was the backup there. We thought that if, if you're going to not put Matt Jones at center, then that's a guy who would be in the mix there. But he's out for the whole spring, which explains a little bit more why they brought in Vic Cutler to have another body there and competing for, for that job. But uh, Carson Hensman was the name that Ryan Day prominently brought up as a potential center but it it, I understand either way I guess would make sense to me if they came in and said listen center is too important having a uh, a good center for a first year starting quarterback is especially important Matt Jones has a history there Um, he's his future may not be at center at the next level but that's what makes the most sense for our team if they come in and said that today I would have been like, yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking. But to come in and say we have two starting guards, returning starting guards, who are both good at those jobs, and with so much other uncertainty and instability, why not lock in the two things that you are certain of? That makes sense to me, too. I think something else has happened here, though. And this is from Justin Fry. Justin Fry said Carson Hinsman had a great bowl practice. And then he was telling stories. He's like, hey, man, you get hired at Ohio State. You're coming from UCLA. And he said, I'm from a small town in the middle of nowhere. And you get here and they say, hey, go get in your car and drive to the middle of nowhere to recruit this Carson Hinsman kid who's from Hammond, Wisconsin. And I'm driving through a snowstorm to get Carson Hinsman. Steven, we're looking for people, right? Our whole offensive line conversation is they, someone's got a pop. My read on the way Justin Fry explained it is, I think Carson Hinsman popped in bowl practice. He was the number nine interior offensive lineman in the mm-hmm. class of 2022. That's all centers and guards. Number yep. nine at your position, that's pretty good. He's number 177 overall player. We're looking for a guy. And as all these things, Nathan, there's things in concert, right? It feels like maybe they think, I think my read on this, Stephen, is they think they've got a center. Now, Ryan Day did say they were surprised by Luke Whipler. They were not counting on that. They thought Luke Whipler was going to be back. So, well, I had a plan, but I think Carson Hinsman showed them something, Stephen, which lets them maybe do the thing they want to do, which is keep Matt Jones in place. But maybe there's an answer. This is a guy. You you don't need 10 answers on the offensive line. They're looking for three. I think Carson Hinsman might be one. Yeah, I I think, first of all, that classification by 247 Sports, the interior offensive lineman, I think it does throw off some things because it's not like, like he might be the ninth best interior offensive lineman, but if they did center and guard still, he might be the number two center, which 
Luke Whipler was the number two center in a top 200 recruit, borderline top 100 recruit, who ended up being the starting center when that wasn't the expectation. They thought it was going to be Harry Miller when they had a first year starting quarterback. So here we go. Here we go again. Carson Hensman is we. <laughs> I like to poke fun of the, the Greg Sudrawa thing. This is one of his last gifts to Ohio State. This is a Greg Shujawa recruitment that when Greg Shujawa was let go, Carson Hensman was finding out the same way the rest of the world was, and he stayed committed to Ohio State even before they had hired Justin Fry. So it didn't didn't come in early, didn't show up until the summertime, and has clearly started to make a jump here. But, yeah, that, that kind of matters too because nothing helps when you have situations like this more than you have an unexpected jump from somebody that allows somebody else to stay put because – it's not it's apples to oranges, but the concept is the same thing Dewan Jones did. We weren't expecting Dewan Jones to be the starting right tackle in, in 2021, but he made a jump and it allowed Ohio State to do some maneuvering that maybe they weren't expecting they had to do. If Carson Hensman continues to make this level of a jump and by fall camp, he secured that starting center job and that allows you to keep Matthew Jones at right guard as probably your best right guard, just like if Josh Fryer continues to make a move that allows you to keep Donovan Jackson at left guard, that's that's a good thing for Ohio State because that means guys are developing, but also the best possible guy you could have at left and right guard st- are still guys from the year before that who showed you they could do the job. And we're always looking for recruiting wins, right? They yep. went and beat Wisconsin for, for a Wisconsin, Wisconsin offensive lineman. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's like beating... Georgia for a Georgia defensive lineman. Like for all the things the Big Ten is not, one of the things the Big Ten is is, is a home often to great offensive linemen. So Nathan, like that's a win. As Steven said, it's a final gift from Greg Studrawa. That's a win that is potentially having a payoff in year two, which is that's our whole thing with the offensive line. Have they been getting enough wins in recruiting? So when it's time for someone to make a jump, do they have the guys capable of doing that? Oh, here's a top 200 national recruit who they're talking about like they're ready for him to win a starting job in year two. All right, let's go. I suddenly, we'll get to the tackles in a second. I have though, I'm more enthused about the offensive line because again, it's one of the things, no offense to Jacob James and the guys in that class. That feels to me, all those fourth year guys who are lower rated guys who's like, hey, they've been back up. They've been here a while. It's like, okay, they're veteran. They haven't really played whatever. Carson Hinsman making a jump. That feels like, okay. We always say it's from strength or from weakness. Hey, this guy's ready. This guy's good. This guy, this guy popped in ball practice. He's ready to win a job. Okay, that feels like a strength. That doesn't feel like a well. Okay, desperation. But it's got to be somebody. So I like this Carson Hensman thing. But Nathan, I don't know what to think about the tackles. Josh Fryer is first up on the list. But I think the most interesting thing was. Ryan Day and Justin Fry talking about Tegra Shabola officially moving to tackle and entering that tackle competition. And I will say Justin Fry said Tegra Shabola is like a wall. He said some tackles, they kind of want to guide you and, you know, like slide you out of place. Shabola is not that. He's a wall. He, he called, yes. just talk about pillar strength. You know who else is a wall? Dewan Jones, who yeah. continues to tear the senior bowl apart. So I know he's not as big as Dewan Jones, but all of a sudden, Nathan, it's like, okay, now starting up. All right. Josh Fryer probably has to win a job. You tell me Tegra Shabola as a year two, like top 150 national recruit, is ready to now win a tackle job? Okay. Okay. Maybe there's not a million guys like that, but I don't know, Nathan. Fryer and Shabola, I think that could get him there, maybe. Listen, I'm going to take like an eighth of a 
dose of credit for saying in my write-up, Shibola is a big guy who earned some early season snaps as a true freshman. It could be in the mix to start at right guard. At 6'6", 330 pounds, he may also be a tackle. And that, that's an easy thing to see when you look at this roster. Even though he'd played guard in at Ohio State last year, even though he played guard at like the national level in the All-American game, and that was where he had been projected for some of the things that um, he has athletically. With that sheer size, if the rest of it is there, it makes sense in this in this lineup with with what they have in front of them to to see if he could be a tackle for this team. It doesn't surprise me at all that they that to hear his name in that context today. Tegra is such a gentle giant too. He's, he's mean, so nice. He's like Donovan. He's like Donovan Jackson. He's so nice and so violent as a football player. Yeah, Buckeye talk. Though I do think. It's one of these things, Stephen, right? It's like we're searching for answers. Yeah. And then if it's like, well, the answers are the two best offensive line recruit recruits in the class of 2022. We're just going to ask them to be ready to start as second-year players. And Justin Fry was talking generally about the progression of offensive linemen. He said year one is an offensive lineman. You're learning to play college football. You're making sure that you're making your tutoring sessions. You're getting your your dietary plan in order. It's just the basics of being a human. He said, year two, you're learning to play your position. Okay, now we're going to lock you in. You're going to figure it out. And and then year three, you should be ready to go. So when you ask this, again, our apprehension about the offensive line is even Justin Fry saying the ideal path for guys, right? It really is. For an offensive lineman, I think you just add a year for Mm -hmm. most guys. So year, you know, receivers, Brian Hartline's like, you better be ready to do something in year two. I think offensive line, they just think it's year three. So you're asking two year two guys, Stephen, to be ready, but it's their two best recruits. It is two big time dudes. And it's not, it's different than asking Luke Montgomery, right? You're asking mm-hmm. year two guys. Shabola especially was on the second team, right? He got reps last year. So Shabola and Hinsman, I mean, this is, it's not crazy to think that, okay, for all the things they're not doing in recruiting on the, on the offensive line, what they did do in the class of 2022 may be very valuable in 2023 on the field. Yeah, I think what's it, part of learning to be a college football player is the physical transformation that offensive linemen have to make to be unnecessarily big to play that position. Well, Tegra was already 300 plus pounds when he was 16, so there's less of a physical transformation there. While you know Carson Hinsman probably needed to put on 20, 25 pounds. If they've done that part, and you spend the spring really locking them in on these positions, whether it's center or in tackle, which if they can get it, it's it's almost now how quickly can they can they get it, which is why Ryan Day kind of you know the way he talked about it was like we're gonna see where we are at the end of April. Because you think you have something here because physically they're ready to do it and they flash maybe a couple of things in pro bowl practice, but now that they're gonna get 15 practices of probably a lot of snaps with the ones, just because they gotta rotate a lot of guys through there. You're gonna get a real evaluation of whether or not these guys are ready, which is why I mean the portal's kind of slim pickings right now when it comes to the offensive line. But when you do get to that second window, if you feel comfortable with what Carson and Tegra and maybe anybody else who might come along is giving you, maybe you don't feel as inclined to go see what might be in the portal. But if you do get to April and it's like, okay, it's coming, but they're still not quite what we need to be, then I won't be shocked if they go back into the portal just to take a peek, even if there isn't anything Ohio State caliber. I think we could have a more extended portal conversation later, Nathan, because Ryan Day did talk about that. But they also did seem to keep the door cracked on and then we can look at the portal again after spring if we need to. But they're hoping the answers come in-house. 
Yeah, and but just remember, uh, there will be a spring portal, but I think it'll be a lot of players who are the outside of Ohio State version of the kind of players we think Ohio State could lose to the portal in the spring, right? There aren't going to be a lot of places where a true starter at a really good place decides to just leave at the end of the spring. It's going to be more like guys who are like third, fourth, fifth year guys who find out they, they didn't earn a job that spring and they, they look for something else. Do you feel better about Ohio State's prospects on the offensive line after hearing the things you heard on Wednesday, Nathan, or has it not really changed much? Um, it's a little better to hear that because there were things we were sort of speculating about. Tegra Shabola could play tackle. Well, they think so. Or um, or they are optimistic that they will find a center good enough that they don't have to move Matt Jones. Those things, I think if you're a fan of Ohio State, those are probably encouraging things to hear. What I think is important to remember, though, is let the spring play out because right now there, there's a difference between being the best option that Ohio State has to do something and being the caliber Ohio State needs to win games with it. You know what I'm saying? That we've seen in the past, you you make positional decisions, position battles happen, but we find out that still the play at that position wasn't good enough. So that is still the the ultimate determining factor that's hanging out there. I think it was good that they said that Brian Day said names. Because yeah. he could have just gave given the generic, well, you know, guys are coming along, you know, yada, yada the coach speak stuff. Because then we'd come back on here and we probably have the same worries. But the fact, whenever they single out a name, involuntarily, because it's not like anybody said, hey, how's Carson Hinsman coming along? How's Tegra Spola coming along? The fact that Ryan Day said names make, gives you a 10% more confident level that they might figure some things out. Listen, it's, it's big time football. But Ryan Day did make the point, it's hard to lose two offensive linemen after their third years, Nathan, that we all knew Paris Johnson was going to be a three-year guy, but they didn't think Luke Whipple would be a three-year guy. So those are success stories. It's like Chris Holtman could come on this podcast right now and be like, you want to talk losing guys earlier than expected? Uh, well, so what do you do with them while you have them? <laughs> you, right, you've, you've got to be ready. But yeah. that is a thing. It's like the success stories of Paris Johnson and Luke Whipple that after just three years of college football, they're ready for the NFL has contributed to a little bit of flux on the offensive line. And then you pair that with some iffy recruiting classes, but it is, it is amazing. It is amazing. Sometimes I feel like Carson Hinsman. I'm like, Oh, one name. Cause Shabola, we kind of knew Carson Hinsman to me, even though he's a top 200 national recruit, that just was not a front of mind name for me as a second year guy. I feel like getting one name that they feel excited about starts to lock other things in place, right? And so to, to Stephen's point, it's it's always reassuring to hear names, but dealing with Whipler and, and Paris Johnson, you know, if they give up 60 sacks, nobody's going to be saying like, oh, well, it's because they did too good of a job developing Paris Johnson and Whipler, but it is a reality, but maybe they maybe they have two answers here for other guys who might be who knows? In a couple of years, we may be talking about Tegra Shabola and Carson Hensman as two guys who only needed three years at Ohio State before they went to the NFL, and that's the way it works. Yeah, and, and also let's go circle back to Josh Fryer, who Day mentioned, you know, up front, but also said kind of in the context, like this is a big offseason for Josh Fryer. So that and they're talking about him at left tackle. When I did the depth chart, I had him at right tackle and was thinking more of like a Zen Mahalski kind of thing emerging at left tackle if they didn't make anything happen in the portal. But prior to go there, I think it's an indication of, well, that's our most experienced option there. 
and the guy that we think might be the most uh, stable fit there right now, but he has something to prove to, that he can play on a high state level. But if it works, you've solved that problem for two years, probably. I don't know that we're looking at him. I mean, I suppose it's possible he could jump to the NFL after one year, but more likely he'd be here for two years. And that gives you enough time to have the Luke Montgomery thing work out and develop on a normal way. They've just got to like plug, get some real long-term solutions at a couple of these positions rather than having this still be hanging out there every year of like, who's going to be the left tackle? Who's going to be the left tackle? All right, last break. When we come back, let's do some quarterback talk next on Buckeye Talk. All right, so quarterbacks matter. And Ryan Day made it very clear, Nathan, that it's a battle. It is, he did not say Kyle McCord comes in with the lead, but I did find it interesting that he really expressed a preference to figure this out in the spring. And we could have asked 400 more quarterback questions of Ryan Day, but there was a lot of ground to cover. But again, that's not necessarily what I was expecting, that I think it would be reasonable. It's like, well, you know, we'll see what happens in the spring, but I think we, you know, we may take this thing to opening day. We really got to give both these guys a chance to show what they can do. We believe in both of them, but it, we're not going to be able to get that done with 15 practices in March and April. He could have said that. He didn't. Nathan, what did you think of the timetable expressed? Uh, it was intriguing, and I want to make sure that we don't uh... – present it the wrong way. He isn't saying we will name one by the end of the spring, but he is more open to it than he has ever been before. It sounds like is even when they've had wants to wants to, yeah, right. hoping, to. Seem like, want, hoping want. Right. Yeah. That's yep. the plan. The desire. If all goes well, someone takes it this April, which has right. not been the, the idea the last two times he's named a starting quarterback. Exactly. And, and maybe that is in deference also to some of the realities of the room um, that we've talked about before and, and quarterback movement. And, 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 and um, we talked about the comparisons to the, the Burrow Haskins in 2018 and how these guys were both one year younger than that, but maybe there's still some uh, it, it, keeping that in mind is, is why he's thought of it that way. But it may also just be um, that he, he wants to um, be able to now start the, because the way it's been worked in the past, that decision doesn't come until mid August. You're still rotating a lot of first string reps, uh, in, in a competition kind of way into mid-August, maybe he's, again, we, we just in, in, go back to the first segment of how he's sort of evolving and is thinking about things. He's gone through this before now a couple times, being the one overseeing one of these quarterback competitions, and maybe he sees a better uh, uh, outcome if you, in, if you have a guy set going into the summer that it maybe gives this a different uh, platform as you're getting ready for a season. I do think there's some merit to some of it just might be, I mean, Every single weapon is back. So if you the quicker you can pick a quarterback, the quicker he can get every single rep he can possibly imagine with all the weapons coming back. And that I don't Dwayne was the last time where it was this specific where one and two on the death chart were all back like this, and Dwayne got picked in the spring. So that's part of that. But also I honestly just think it's because Kyle McCord is year three and he's gonna be somebody's starting quarterback, whether it's whether it's here or somewhere else, and Kyle McCord might demand for a decision at the end of April. So did you guys talk to Corey Dennis? Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I only talked to Corey Dennis a little bit at the end because he wanted to know 
what was up with my film room story. And I said, I wrote it, but it was Uh like right when uh, you were getting ready to try to beat Georgia. So it might've slipped past you there. So I had a nice conversation with Corey just about like CJ Stroud and his legacy. And I was telling him we went and did this legacy podcast and, you know, he agreed that like how good CJ played in that game, but I did not talk to Corey Dennis about this battle. Nathan, did you learn some things from Corey Dennis? What information did you glean about his his view as the quarterback's coach about what's ahead. Well, I had talked to him in Atlanta about it, and at that time he couldn't get into you know a lot of they again they're 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 they were still planning for that game. Uh, but one thing I think is important to remember here is that we get very tied into um, every throw we get to see these guys make in the brief practice windows we get, and certainly mechanical things, football things are really important. There is another element to this though. It, it's a little bit more intangible when it comes to leadership. It's how guys respond to you. It's how you lead a huddle, how you lead uh, the quarterback room, how you lead game planning and stuff like that. And that's another part of this evaluation that's going to be happening going forward. And it's another part of it that you would assume that Kyle McCord could maybe have a little bit of a lead just because of his additional time in the program. But I would also say that, that Devin Brown, uh, just from my talking to him and, and hearing from other people, that there is there he has a that kind of um that the personality that works that way too that I think he he is caught up there a little bit and that is a guy that teammates respond to and those those things are are sometimes subtle but uh I think they show up big when when things start to go wrong for a team and it, I those it can't be discounted that that'll be a part of the equation here I do think when CJ won the job, Stephen, it felt like that was the way they talked about it a lot. That CJ was just acting like the starting quarterback, and mm-hmm. yeah, he's smart and yeah, he's accurate and all these things. But CJ sort of just like took that, and everybody was like, "Yeah, no, he's he's the guy." What what did you glean from Corey, Stephen? I, I think kind of the same stuff. I mean, there is something to just own in the room and kind of knowing the guy. And there's become this new tradition with Ohio State quarterbacks when they know it's probably their jobs for the taking. We saw it with CJ. Right after that national championship game, he's posting this kind of cryptic photo. It's my turn now. You just saw Kyle McCord do the same thing. Now, I mean, some of that is just fun and games, but I do think the talent is there for both of those guys and they wouldn't be here. And so it does kind of maybe boil down to some of the more intangible stuff. Uh, who can own the room? When we do get the quarterbacks, if we get the quarterbacks this spring last time, there was a battle. We didn't talk to them until literally the day before fall camp started. So we'll see. But if we get the quarterbacks this this spring does it feel like this is Kyle McCord's job just in the demeanor he gives off or does it feel like Devin Brown has closed whatever gap is there and it's like oh this is this might have to go into the fall camp because Devin Brown is making it happen because I don't think from a talent standpoint anybody's worried about that so maybe it is about more about feel of whose team it is than anything else which is some of that is coach speak, but when you're dealing with like talent at the end of the day, that some of that stuff is also true. It was funny. Again, we sort of just were like maybe one question short of really diving in on the quarterback battle. Cause Ryan day, I think maybe twice said they have different skill sets. They have different skill yeah. sets. And then it's like, well, could you say them? Cause we might mm-hmm. think we know what we think maybe the skill sets are, but like, we want to hear it from you, how you view how Kyle McCord and Devin and Brown, Devin Brown are similar or different. One of the things he did talk about though, Nathan, again, sort of generally was off platform throws. And he's like, you know, you're watching the the conference championship games and guys are making off plat. And it's like, Patrick Mahomes is nuts. We understand that. But 
that idea, like CJ was so good in the pocket. And we had theorized about like, does Ryan Day, like, do they maybe want a more mobile quarterback? And there's like more mobile quarterback run and there's more mobile quarterback off-platform scrambling. And he said like, CJ was great against Georgia at that, right? Like the slide, they escapes the pocket to the right and throws the touchdown pass in the back of the end zone, like that kind of stuff. Where it felt like sometimes with CJ, it was like, well, why would he leave the pocket? Because if he stays there, he knows something's going to develop, right? Is there any part of this? Is it? I is this the right shorthand that Devin's slightly more of a runner, slightly more running capabilities, well, but also, but, but McCord's like Mister Gunslinger, right? I don't know. How do we? What are their skill sets? I think that is probably of the two. I think Brown may have an edge in mobility a little bit, but I would. I would caution against saying that that necessarily leads to a uh, necessarily directly equates to being better at the off platform stuff because that's a yeah. different quarterback skill. And I know that from the the reporting I've been doing about this, um, I texted about it. This profile of Common Core that I've been working on, um, you know, he he has worked now for several years with uh, Phil Sims and his son Matt, and that was a big part of that was, was working on those off platform things because going back even several years into his development, that was something they already saw starting to come to the NFL. Like Patrick Mahomes was almost the end game of that in some ways. I know he kind of took it into hyperspeed with the way that he plays, but they were already seeing just a significant portion of the throws that a quarterback has to make in a a major college football game or an NFL game is those sort of off platform things. And every quarterback, um, and and even when I was doing reporting on CJ Stroud and Jack Miller and and those guys a couple years ago, their, their quarterback coaches were talking about the same thing. So I, that's something that has already been a part of common cords development. I'm sure it's been part of Devin Brown's development too, but some of it is instinctual and, and CJ Stroud uh, from his athletic background. And a lot of that I think um, was just athletic instinct. So we'll see how that, it, it, I think that it's a weird combination, right? Cause you want that instinctiveness, but it has to operate within certain fundamentals and, and, and operate within the offense. I think how I've come to understand some of this is there's when you say mobile, there's two types of mobile. There's mobile behind the line of scrimmage and there's mobile after you pass the line of scrimmage. The mobile before the line of scrimmage is where CJ lived, the off platform. Patrick Mahomes does a lot of that stuff. Then there's the mobile after the line of scrimmage is where like Lamar Jackson, uh, Justin Fields, Jalen Hurts to a degree, Josh Allen. That's where they live when you talk about mobile. I think Devin Brown is more mobile after you get past the line of scrimmage. I think Kyle McCord is better at it before you get the line of scrimmage where the goal is to still get the ball out of your hands. So the question is, I mean, by the way, Ryan, Day talked today. He didn't say, I want a guy making plays after the line of scrimmage. He said off platform throws, which puts a little hat in the bucket for Kyle McCord over Devin Brown. It's not saying Devin can't do that. It's just because I've gotten to see a chance at Devin Brown doing things live. Cause I was at that practice. Being mobile after a line of scrimmage can sometimes mean you see ghosts when you're a young quarterback. You take off at times and you don't need to. While with Kyle McCord, it means I'm fitting a ball somewhere where I probably shouldn't be fitting the ball. Now, which one grows out of it further? It might be the older guy who spent two years having that knocked out of him, while Devin Brown, who still hasn't thrown a pass, is still kind of developing that skill set. So in the end, we'll wrap up the quarterback discussion here. We we just have so much more. We just can't doesn't make sense to do a five-hour podcast with everything we heard and discussed 
on Wednesday. So we're going to keep bringing you guys this information on this podcast, on the texts, 614-350-3315, and at cleveland.com slash OSU. But this is the most important thing that's going to happen this spring, Nathan. Yeah, offensive line's a big deal, and oh, the progress of the Jim Knowles defense in year two, and James Laurinaitis is here, and maybe Brian Hartline's going to call plays. they got to pick a quarterback. So in as we sit here right now, from what we heard on Wednesday, do we feel like, I mean, Tim may ask this question specifically, do, do we feel like it's pretty wide open, or should fans view this more as the basically just because McCord is a year older, or maybe something else as well, that McCord is, I don't know, ahead, the presumed favorite. I don't know. what from Did anything you hear you heard on Wednesday, Nathan, affect how you view it and how do you view it? No, I've, I've thought it's wide open and that there are just a number of factors that you have to consider. And Comicord's experience and age and the poise that should come with that should give him some advantages in some of those factors. But there's other physical factors and probably other intangible factors where Devin Brown is uh, equal or better. Steven? Yeah, I thought Kyle McCord was favorite going into today, and nothing changed that or even enhanced it. I just kind of am where I am. And it's the experience of having played football, thrown about, starting in a game. But I just think the arm talent is what's at quarterback is what's going to keep Ohio State in the national championship discussion. And even with C.J. Stroud on this roster, I have thought that arm talent-wise, Kyle was the best of it all the quarterbacks who were here the past two years. And he just needed to maybe develop some of the other stuff to not be so reliant on. I've got the strongest arm in the world. Let me just zip it every time. Okay. We'll cut it there just because we have to make a decision about like, okay, what, what are we going to talk about on the first pod after the interview session? Thanks to Ohio state for making this possible. Uh, I thought we, it was great because he had like the sit down sessions. And then we all had moments where you kind of just got to talk to some coaches and like, you know, walk with the guy and just like, again, it, it just helps everybody. And not every college, a lot of pro- college programs don't do this. The smaller ones, they just want coverage to let you do whatever you want to do. A lot of the big time programs don't do this, but it helps us when we have a better handle on the people who are making this program go. And I think it helps you guys when we have that. So Wednesday was a really good day to help us get a handle on this new version of the Ohio State Buckeyes. So stick with us. We'll keep talking about it. We'll keep texting about it. We'll keep writing about it for now. For Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug LaMaurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. <laughs>